Welcome to Two Paley's on a Pod. I'm Bria Paley. And I'm Michael Paley. And I'm coming to you from Budapest, where I've been living with my wife, Annie, for some time, and Bria. I'm just outside of Vegas at the moment. I've been on a cross-country road trip. My final destination is the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. I'm going to be there this Saturday, so two days from now. And um, I've been on this trip for like a week and a half or longer, and it's been a... Very interesting, very eye-opening, lots of driving by myself. I don't think of this as a, uh, as a trip. I think this is as, as an odyssey. You know, there are many uh, odysseys in the world and uh, from, from Homer on down. And a trip this long, doing it by yourself, this is really an odyssey with all the, all the challenges and temptations along the way. Yes, I agree. It is. There's a lot been going on and lots of planning and, uh, you know, here I am just staying with a, a, a friend of mine and her husband, and a lot of people have welcomed me, and it's been the Jewish high holidays, and so I've been, um, you know, going going through the, those kind of, uh, what would you call them, cycles? Uh, celebrations and rituals. Celebrations and rituals, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is, in some ways, you know, it's the most uh, remarkable time to wander off after all Sukkot. Um, uh, the holiday we just finished is about wandering through the desert, right? They even had a temporary dwelling, you know, our sukkah, um, uh, to go from one place to another. And in the Bible, I have to say, um, there are many times in which they will tell you. And the people went from Ramses to sukkah, from sukkah to Kadesh Barnea, and, and, and on, um, and long lists of places that they vi visited. So I think you're in a strong Jewish tradition of wandering during this time of the year. Yes, yes, I definitely noticed that and um, and found it very meaningful. You know, I, I think of you as a wanderer. I think of myself as a wanderer. Um, we were often um, uh, on the road. Um, and even as a kid, your grandmother always used to call me the kid that wandered off. And I did wander off, you know, in the supermarket, in the park, right away. And then later on in life, I was always living someplace else, and uh, including now. You know, I'm, I'm, I've kind of moved to Budapest to wander off. Um, and so so how's you, how have you found this leaving of home and finding a new way? Um, it's, been, it's been challenging, actually, not because I miss home, but because there's so much unknown right now. And it's, it's hard for me to live out of a suitcase and be moving around every day. Um, it's, it's something I noticed come up for me this whole year was that I wanted to feel grounded. I wanted to feel like I had a <clears throat> safe space. And although I felt safe on this trip, there's just, a, it's been a lot of kind of just wanting to feel like, like I have a home again. Um, is there a positive sign of that before we get to the difficulties? of just being on the road, almost, you know, the romantic cowboy image of sleeping under the stars. Have you found it liberating in any way? I think there's definitely been moments of that and and just knowing that I could do this by myself. But, you know, there has there has been some like loneliness and um and and doubts and um and kind of like intrusive thoughts of like things I forgot. Um, you know, just 
I'm I'm trying to think like yes there there have been positive moments for sure um where like I'm listening to like good 80s music and like <laughs> really interesting podcasts I've had some like nice phone calls while I'm driving I've I've learned things about my car I didn't know before um tire pressure being one of them cruise control <laughs> I mean I've I've learned a lot um I've been impressed by by the car by myself um and my ability to, you know, get up and, and go and meet people on the way and, you know, all the rest stops and gas stations and the changing landscapes. I mean, driving from it started to get really interesting because, well, first I was going to go a different route, like through Colorado, Nebraska and Colorado. And I ended up changing my mind in Chicago and a little bit of a meltdown when I was in Chicago. Um, it was pretty early in the trip. And I just felt like I, uh, so much had been happening to get ready for the trip that I needed to sort of crash a little bit. Mm. And I was able to, to do that and then, and then, you know, get back up. And, and then I decided that I would go through like through the desert. I just felt like that, that's what I needed to do. Mm. And, and you have been driving through the desert. Yeah. Yeah. I drove from, so basically I went from you know, got a little weird because of, of the change of plan. But um, but I went, my first stop was Cleveland and then Chicago, then drove through St. Louis, stayed at a motel just outside St. Louis. Then I yeah, went then to hmm? Tulsa. Yeah, then I went to Tulsa, which was a really nice stop. I was able to stay with a lovely couple. Um, I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but um, I'd gotten connected with them through through someone and um so they were just really really wonderful and we went to a Sukkot event and that was also very nice it was about different um kind of a, a it was a folklore society meeting and it was about like different Sukkots in um in Israel well and like Yemenite communities and it was very very cool so I went to that and then I did the longest stretch of the trip which was Tulsa to Albuquerque which was probably about 10 hours. And now, how did you drive for 10 hours without, I don't know, falling asleep is my fear, but also, I don't know, something. Yeah. I'm not sure really. Um, I guess it was like God was with me as, as usual or something. Cause I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was an easy drive in some ways, but, and I just kind of kept, uh, pushing myself, you know, I, I told myself if I needed to stop, then I would, but, um, I, I managed to kind of just keep just at it, keep at it. Yeah. I really, I had a goal and that was just to get to Albuquerque. And once I got to Albuquerque, um, you know, I could kind of rest and I ended up staying for three nights in an Airbnb with, um, this very nice woman, Emily, who, um, who also shares her home like I do. And there was a hot tub in the backyard and um, oh, wow. yeah, it was a, a, just a really good, really good place just to kind of, you know, take a break. Um, I did get to see some of Albuquerque. That was cool. The old town and I, I had my scooter. So I was scooting around the, I think it's called the Bosque path. And there's all this cool kind of flora and fauna and, um, yeah, so I so I stayed for three nights and then I drove to Flagstaff, Arizona. 
um, where I found another Airbnb and it was also Simchat Torah. Oh, I forgot. I also went to a Sukkot event in Albuquerque. Um, It was cute. Like it was not really anyone my age, but like kind of older people and kids. But, um, but you know, it was nice to see. It was a very interestingly structured um, synagogue. Um, yeah, this is the Jewish Odyssey across the country for sure. Towards the Promised Land, just like it's in Sukkot. Yeah, exactly. So you get to Esalen. Yeah, Esalen is for sure the Promised Land. And uh, yeah, and so then um, I had Simchat Torah with the Chabad of Flagstaff. Um, really lovely people there, very welcoming, and they had their own chef. So it was like being at like a bar mitzvah or something. It was, um, and the other thing they did is the rabbi had everyone, everyone there go around. There must've been like 50 or so people or more. And everyone said something they were going to commit to like a new year's resolution almost. Mm. And, um, you know, some people said they're going to light the the Shabbos candles every week, or they're going to give more tzedakah or they're going to, um, do to fill in, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they're going to commit to that. So that was, you say? I said I was going to light the Shabbos candles, um, which, which I hope I will be able to do um, at Esalen. Well, I see no reason why you wouldn't. Yeah. Of all the things that you could have said, why do you think you picked the Shabbos candles? Yeah, you're right. I, I thought like, what, what am I going to say? You know, like I do want to give more tzedakah. I do want to, um, give more of my time, but that it felt like I'm going to be at Esalen for three months and, and making sure I light the Shabbos candles would be like a good connection to my Judaism while I'm, while I'm away from what I would normally do. I'm going to say listening to, I listening to you, I, I hear one characteristic part of you, which is the resiliency part, right? Mm-hmm. You, you come back at it. I, I kind of think that from the time that you were a child and you would have setbacks, people were even mean to you or whatever, you'd come back, you know, and, and try again. And I suppose that is the is a critical piece of a long drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have that many setbacks, luckily, with driving. You know, I've I've been safe. I haven't had any any issues, thank goodness. Um and you know, there's always there's always something entertaining to to listen to in the car, you know. And and I always have my map, so I know how far away I am. And I I didn't really take that many breaks um, because I I do like to kind of just just get to where I'm going and and stay focused. Um, but yeah, I think I think after this trip, you know, is over in just a few days, um, I'll be able to kind of look back on it. Well, I guess right now I'm looking back on it. So, but I think once it's really over and I feel more settled at Esalen with whoever I'm going to share a room with and meeting all these new people and going in the baths and, and everything, um, I'll be able to kind of be like, Oh wow, that really, that really was a moment in time that I was able to, 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 yeah, do something that, you know, I never really could have imagined doing before. I look at you didn't drive for many decades, so um, uh, I could never even imagine you driving a little bit. Never mind cross country. This is a, it's it's quite an extraordinary feat in in lots of ways. I I have some other images. You know the, 
the um, holiday of Sukkot um, celebrates um, the second stage of, or the third stage of the liberation from Egypt, right? The first stage is Passover. Um, and so we go out of um, slavery into the, into the desert. So you've, you've replicated that. Um, the second stage is Shavuot, where we receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. Um, so, I'm, of course, I'm interested in whether you had any revelations on the way out here. That's why I'm asking these questions. And the third stage is Sukkot, which is weirdly not entering the land, but going towards the land. Um, and and there, is a, there is a comment in the Talmud that says they, they didn't celebrate going towards the land because they still were so upset about what they had left behind. And you would think that leaving anything behind um, as a slave would be liberating, but they didn't. And you can hear it in the Bible all the time. You know, we miss the food. We miss our, our lives there. We miss the, you know, the, um, the, the stability of actually slavery um, and being enslaved. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in your thoughts about that, what you left behind and what, what, and, and how did you do that? I, I never think of you as a person that can leave things behind. And yet you've now driven far away from where you started. Mm, well, for the first part, I, I, I did get some re revelations, mostly when I was a little bit, a bit stoned. Um, <laughs> Thank you for telling everybody that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think for me, um, weed helps, um, give me some clarity sometimes when I'm, um, when I don't feel, when I don't feel I have it. So, so yeah, I, I was able to get some clarity over like how fortunate I am and how like everything is actually really very good in my life. And I have all these opportunities coming my way. And cause you know, it's, it's easy to see it from a, another perspective, which is that I did feel enslaved um, in New York, in my apartment, um, which, which wasn't a feeling I'd had before, um, this year. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, d I don't like it here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. And was looking for a way out. And I, I found one mm. and it meant, you know, clearing, clearing some, some things out of my home so I could make space for, um, for people to, to live there, which I'm still, trying to work out. I still am not sure after this month what's going to happen with my apartment. But I also knew that I, I needed to get rid of things for my own growth. Um, but it was really hard. And I was, I was worried about it for a long time. And I had to do it pretty much on my own. Um, I didn't have a partner or a friend really to say, oh, do you really want to get rid of this thing or keep this thing? Mm. And and as I've I think I've said on the podcast I have I have a lot a lot of things a lot of clothing and other items and and I just come from uh you know our trip to Budapest and before that um, being at our family's beach house where nothing's been thrown away for like fifty years. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uncle Richie and I, um, and I think even Auntie Mimi, we finally threw away our childhood beds. Yeah. Right. Finally. Yeah. yeah. And maybe some chairs that we had picked up on the beach that so they weren't weren't even ours, but we used them for years, and they were rusted. So we threw we we hired a truck and we threw a lot of stuff out. Okay, well, so yeah, and as so. you say, it was it was pretty long time coming. <laughs> right, right, probably sixty years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, so in my head, I was like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want that to happen to me. I have to like get rid of some of these things I've been holding on to because you know, I must have like. 
50 pairs of shoes or, or something. I mean, how many shoes can you, can you really wear? You know, like, um, so, so I did, I got rid of things and then I noticed I'd be on the road and, and all of a sudden something would pop into my head and I'd say, did I keep that or did I get rid of it? Is, is it with me? Is it not with me? Where is it? And that was really hard, daddy. I am. I can think of nothing really from knowing you your whole life that would be more difficult for you than letting go of things and throwing them out. You're. I mean, it, you have often let your possessions define who you are. Right. Exactly. So. So this was like, well, what what's going to define me now if I don't have these things? Maybe that's why you had to do it so that you could begin to build a new structure for an identity that wasn't based on things but based on ideas. Or even love. Yeah, and then the the other interesting thing was that, you know, I'd go to the, I'd go to all these people's homes, whether it was someone hosting me um, through Airbnb or or a friend of a friend or whatever, and they would have so much stuff, especially if they had a whole house. You know, they would have just tons and tons of stuff. I went to one one family's house, and and all their grown adult children's bedrooms were basically the same as when they were growing up. <laughs> And, and that also kind of felt a bit triggering, like, like, you know, well, how, what's that going to look like for me? Yeah. I, you know, in order for you to have your childhood bedroom intact, mommy and I would have had to stay in one place for your whole life. And we were not willing to do that. You know, I'm a wanderer, I think, just like you. Um, and I find it easy to get past, I threw out. I think around four to 5,000 books this year, which is really quite a lot. Although I did donate a couple of thousand to a synagogue. Mm. And I don't have them anymore. I don't have them. Mm. And do you think about them? Like, does one pop into your head and you're like, oh no, why did I get rid of that? Or I need it back or. You know, I, 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 I have, I studied the Zohar with, um, with a number of people I haven't thrown out in my life. So of the, I think 12 people on the, on the Zohar class, which is the mystical book of, um, of Jewish mysticism, um, uh, um, there are four of us that I've known for 50 years or more, even now 55 years. So, so I've kept my relationships intact, but all of them sit in front of their big bookshelves filled with books. And I sit in front of a window <laughs> so, because in Budapest, I, I can't have more than, I don't know, 150 books or something like that instead of thousands. Really, I literally had thousands of books, right? As you know, when, 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 when you were growing up, I always had my study, which was just book-lined room. And I underlined, I read those books and I underlined them. And they are in my heart, you know, and I often have recall for them. Um, and now I don't have them. And I kind of think about sometimes that a guy from uh, the synagogue will open up my Talmud and he'll see my very young musings on a page and will say, oh, this guy really didn't understand the page at all. You know, but what do I care? Right. You know, I'm, 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 I'm gone from that. So like, I'm jealous of the people that sit in front of their bookshelves filled with books. And yet I feel kind of like rich with the ideas of that, of, of that long pieces of study. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I, I do have Safaria, you know, the fantastic um, text, um, uh, app, um, Jewish text app, which has almost my entire Jewish library on the app. 
So I'm not without access to it, but it's not the same. You know, mm. I love everything about books. I like the paper, the glue, the, the, the words, the ink, the smell, the crack of the binding when you open it up, the, and particularly the underlinings that I've done over all these years and little notes that I've made. I'm just, I just had to, I had to say goodbye to them, you know? It, um, it, I'm, I think I'm always, and, and maybe Sukhoj was about this also, I'm always oscillating between being sedentary, living in one place, and being a nomad. And in the Torah, the nomads always win, right? The first thing that we learn about Abraham, besides that his wife was barren and he's and his brother died, um, is go forth from the land um, and go to the place that I will show you, and you'll be a blessing to to all the families of the earth. So there's he's the nomad, right? And before that, Cain um, is the nomad. Abel is vapor. He's, he's, he's nothing. Um, and, um, and, and Moses is the nomad. You know, he also goes out and, and lives his life on the go in the desert, living light. So I, I think that the call of being a nomad, the call of being, of being able to see everything is very strong in me. And it was hard for me to get rid of those books. I can't think of anything harder than getting rid of the books, but and it was very hard. But even with those, I guess I feel somewhat liberated. Hmm. I, I'm still waiting, I think, to feel, to feel that way. Um, maybe because it, it's still pretty new. Um, and because I, I'm, I'm not in another home. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and I did donate a lot of stuff. So, you know, went to a good cause. I think donating was, was better, you know, than selling, um, selling, yes, yeah, selling did not, did not go very well for me. I ran into some issues and, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to remind myself that like, it's the only stuff and I don't, I don't need all of it. Yeah, it is only stuff. It's only stuff, but you know, I, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle, you know, and, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to feel, to feel more freedom from it. Cause it's, it feels a bit haunting still. You know, you're not, I'm, I'm 70 years old. So, uh, to get rid of stuff is, um, every, all of my friends have to get rid of stuff because we're all downsizing and doing one thing or another, but, but for you, you're not. And, and I, I think this is, must be really challenging. And I, I, I feel very optimistic that you've, decided to do it. I have to say that, you know, Thanks. I'm optimistic about you making space. You know, the, I, I, I have a, I have another Jewish image for you. Um, uh, in the Zohar, in the mystical tradition, um, this week we read the, the story of Genesis 1, the creation, you know, in the beginning God said, or when the beginning, when in the beginning, or when it began, God said, um, you know, let there be light and there was light. Um, uh, so the Zohar asks the question, um, uh, if God was everywhere, where did God put the creation? And it says God, uh, vacated a space for the creation to pop into being. Um, and that is the, that is the act of God called Simsum, um, mm-hmm. the act of contraction so that the universe can expand. And the universe expands in a, in a remarkable way. It, 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 it expands through the, through the balance of many different images, right? One is 
is kindness on one side, but power on the other. One is is understanding bina, and the other one is is malchut, which is you know kingship or presence or thing not not understanding, but just being there. Um, and so, it, only in the negotiation around the beauty of the balance, the tiferet of the balance, does the world come into being. And I do kind of feel like you've done that first step, which is contract, right? You've made space for something else to come in. It was, you know, it was kind mm -hmm. of a dissatisfaction with your life. And now your life is, has an opening for something new to be there. You know, I think you were all kind of stuffed up um, with all your stuff. Your stuff was stuffing you up. Yeah. And the second mystical thing is called Shvirat the Kelim, the, the, the uh, shattering of the vessels. Um, it says when God created all these vessels to pour reality into, um, the vessels weren't strong enough and, and they shattered. And when they shattered, they became shards and, and the shards, the klipot, are evil. Um, mm -hmm. And in some ways, I do feel that you're struggling with that right now, right? You're in the desert. You're on a long drive. You're not connected to anything. You are free to go. You're free to come. You know, you're, um, uh, you're meeting people that you may probably, most probably never see again. Um, you can say anything to you can tell them any story about you yourself that you want. You can make up something new. And, and the vessels that you've poured everything into in the past are shattering. Yeah. And the third stage of, of this mystical trio of Timsum, contraction of Shirata Kalim, the breaking of the vessels, is Tikkun. This is the original image of Tikkun um, Ha'olam, the, the Tikkun, the, the repair, which is that you begin to fix yourself and you begin to become stable again, but not the old person. You be, you have the chance of becoming a, the, the, the next iteration of you. Not that I don't like the old person that you are. I love you and I've always loved you and I'm fascinated by you and I'm challenged by you and engaged by you. But I'm also interested in what comes next. You know, what will this, these months of... Esalen do, will they, will they affect Tikkun on you? I think you've gone through some Simsum, you've gone through the breaking of some of the vessels, and now I think you're heading towards some sense of repair. At least that's what I hope. Wow, thanks, Daddy. I was, really liked hearing that. Um, yeah, I think so too, um, but it is, there, I still have, I have fear, you know, I have fear of mm. letting go of the old, embracing the new, and and all the all the kind of challenges that, that are going to, are going to, I'm going to have to face, you know, now. Well, I think that you will, but when the world was created, it was created with an equal measure of judgment and mercy. Um, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, what we are supposed to do is change God from being in the middle between judgment and mercy towards the side of mercy. Um, but that of course won't happen unless you have mercy on yourself. And I, I don't, I haven't seen that happen yet. No, I'm very hard on myself. How, how, what, what ritual, what trip, what, what, what journey, what Sukkot, what uh, promised land can, can let you ease up on yourself a little? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get moments of it, but then, but then it's like gone and I feel like this kind of heaviness again. Um, I, I think just being just being by the ocean and breathing in like fresh air and being in a, in a place that's been healing for just so, so, so many people and being able to be really authentically myself without without all the distractions that come with living in a city and 
having responsibilities, you know, in so many ways, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm trying to simplify my life for a while. Well, I, I think that's wonderful. I really think that that's wonderful um, for you to try and simplify your life. And I guess that's my prayer. My prayer is that you'll be, have mercy on you and on yourself and, and that you'll, that you'll begin to appreciate the wonder of you. But, you know, of course, a lot of the struggles that you have in your life, the BPD, um, is, I suppose, about that, you know, has a, it has a piece of that in it. Yeah, it's a very, you know, self-deprecating disorder, which is, you know, marred by shame and, um, you know, difficulty and, and all sorts of interpersonal relationships and and I'm I'm one I'm wondering how much I'll reveal to people um now new people that I'll meet about you know why I'm there and what I've gone through and um I don't know I'm not sure you know I I do often tell people honestly about my struggles but I always aim to kind of be be a good listener first and not make not make things so much about me. But you know, I'm sure as as we get to know each other, you know, people will will open find out about you. Yeah, we'll find out about me and you know, and I, I I'm a writer and we have this podcast and and this has been a, a theme of the podcast. When people say, What's your podcast about? You know, I say, Well, we have very honest conversations about spirituality and mental health and and you know, and people, the feedback we get is that our is that our relationship is so is so warm and loving, which it is, you know. And I feel I yeah, feel that way. I have to tell you, I, I you know, I you you struggle with BPD. I struggle with dyslexia. Um, uh, I once went to a psychiatrist um, uh, because I got free um, psychiatric uh, sessions from my healthcare plan, um, and. You know, I didn't want to waste that. So, um, and I struggled with him about my dyslexia, you know, and how I've tried to overcome it. And I'm in a field in which you have to read a lot, you know. So, so, and I hide that from people that I that I have so much difficulty reading. Um, mm. And I remember his his response was so strong to me. He said, he said, you know, Michael, you know, if you had one arm, I could tell you that you could do things with two arms, but I'd be lying to you. So, mm. that's it. You only have one arm and you're not going to get to throw with the other arm because you don't have another arm. And so, you know, you have to kind of live with that as much as you can. And I, and I have, but it's very embarrassing to me, right? Very embarrassing. Yeah. So in, in Budapest, one of the skills that you have to have as a rabbi is, um, is reading, you know, rabbis are reading prayers and the Torah and the Haftarah all the time. So about three years ago, they asked me, can I, can I chant the Haftarah? And I, I, I said to myself, no, I can't. I won't be able to do it. But no one else could do it in the, in, the, in the room. And they said, but you're a rabbi. You surely can do it. So I got up and I did it, you know. And, mm -hmm. and now I read the Haftarah almost every week. Mm -hmm. I dread it every week. But I read it every week. I prepare and prepare and prepare so I won't embarrass myself. And then I get up like as if I don't, oh, what page are we on? Oh, yeah. And then start off as, you know, to kind of try and fool them. <laughs> that I can I can just do it by sight reading, but I can't. So this, on the first day of Sukkot, um, I was sitting in, in my little shul. <clears throat> it's only about 15 or 20 people that are there. And they said, 
you know, the person that usually reads the Torah is uh, not here today. Um, so can you read? And I'm saying to myself, no, I can't read, you know, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll be embarrassed. You all know that I can't read the Torah and that I'm, and I'm, and I'm a fraud. Mm. So, um, so, and I, I just opened my mouth to tell them that. And I heard coming out of my mouth. Um, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, what? I'm saying to myself, I'm having this whole conversation in my head. What? You know, you're not going to be able to do it. What are you going to do now? Big shot. So I got up. Now I have to say that this particular section is much of the, of many of the words are part of the additional prayer, the Musaf prayer that we say um, on different holidays, which I do say, because I can read them out of a prayer book and I'm, and I, and I read them to myself. So I, this, this is not a pure miracle, but I got up in front of everybody, only the 15 people, but still felt to me like hundreds. Hmm. Um, and I hear myself, um, and, and I read it. I could just do it. And I looked, I, I just looked out, up at the, at the Aron, at the, at the Ark and said, oh my God, this is, this is God saying, don't be embarrassed. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get you off the hook, you know? Hmm. And all five sections and then the Haftarah and then the Maftarah, the Maftarah and then the Haftarah, I read all of them pretty, pretty well. I mean, almost flawlessly, a few mistakes, but you know, for not for, for not practicing, and I and I I felt like I felt like I'll never be the same. Wow! You know? Wow! It was it was the revelation experience that I'm hoping for before the the next part of my journey, and and I don't know if I have to do it again, but I was pretty, I was I was I was kind of shaken that I did it, and I know at the, I at the end of doing it, I actually walked out into the. Carter away from the from the little shul and I broke into tears. Oh, daddy. I know it was it was so strong to me. You know? So wow. I, I think it's actually kind of a story of hope, you know, because but I don't know. I, I it's not really a story of hope because I had no hope that I could do it. I did it, but I had no hope that I could do it. I think I just did it. I don't know. It's really well, I'm glad really, you shared that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I there's I still have a lot of things I want to accomplish, of course, you know, finishing this book I've been working on for a long time and this podcast, you know, is is something I'd wanted to do for so long and and every every time we record, I think no, it's not going to work. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the techno the technology won't work. Yeah, that that's the only part I worry about, not not our conversation, but um and uh and you know, I, it also made me think in our twelve in my twelve step meetings that I I go to um, on Zoom. Um, everyone, you know, not everyone, but there's service positions people have to step up for. There has, has to be a timekeeper and a secretary of the meeting and a treasurer and all these positions. And they say that service keeps you sober, you know, or service stops you from whatever addiction you're trying to 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 be rid of. And and I've done some service, but not really that much. And I see people when they first start a service position, you know, they're a little shaky. They they don't quite know what they're doing and maybe something goes wrong and and it's embarrassing and they have, it has to be fixed. And it requires a lot of patience from everyone on the call. And I, I've felt myself, you know, kind of being like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with this. I'm busy. Or, or we have a business meeting where people have to step up for service positions and and that's, you know, kind of annoying because so it's it's just 
it's just interesting to think about like what does it mean to step up you know and 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 yeah. to do something that that you don't really want to do always but then but then at the end it feels like so worthwhile you get so much out of it yes i think it's a it's it's the one piece of you that i think has really grown so much in the last year which is your ability to take some risks you know step up even if you're not sure that it'll all go well i think from from esalen to rhythmia to all these places you took risks about who you are and even i suppose the biggest risk in my view was getting rid of some of your stuff you know saying that i'm more than my stuff and i can i can define myself this is a this is a magnificent um uh, achievement on your part and i i want to congratulate you i want to say mazel tov to you thanks danny <laughs> yeah yeah i hope um more more things will will come you know more more revelations as you said will <laughs> will come to light and and I can just really feel just gratitude for for all the things I have and the blessings that I've been given and the people that I come from, like you. Well, it says this week, In the beginning, or when when in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which were un, untamed and wild, and the Spirit of God was soaring over the face of the deep. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And and the and there was day one and it was good and I hope that this is a new beginning for you and a new time for you and a new opportunity for you and I believe that it is and I and I think as you go into a new opportunity then we'll all go your your family and the people that love you which are so many people will also go into a new opportunity so I I want to say on this Shabbat Breshit on the on the Shabbos of the beginning um, something amazing uh, is got, is about to begin and I and I want to give you my bracha for that so thank you thank you Danny. So in the beginning of your life, we had to search around for a name. And I think your Auntie Leah in Australia came up with the name Bria. And, and then I was amazed by that because the word Bria is the, means the, not just creation, but the realm of creation. Um, and the kind of realm of creation that it is, is where all the different aspects of the world interconnect with each other and come together in, as one and as a whole. Um, and I feel that you have a certain cosmic aspect of your personality and a certain uh, vision um, from that. Sometimes other people have a hard time pinning it down or understanding it, but I always feel that you have it. Um, and so I, I, the, the, the longer you have the name Bria, the more and more I think you resemble the promise of it. Yeah, because people all say to me, well, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of pressure. But... If you know how it's written, B-R-I-Y-A-H, the B is up, the Y is down, and the H is up. So it's like a smile in your name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. All right. I love you, baby. I love you, too. Right, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of our podcast. Before I go, I wanted to thank the people who have so generously hosted me in their homes this trip. And that includes Larry and Sue Ellen in Cleveland, Emily in Chicago, Judy and Sam in Tulsa, Emily in Albuquerque, and Melissa and Jordan just outside of Vegas. Thank you for your kindness and hospitality. It's meant everything to me, and this trip would not have been the same without you. I want to wish everyone safe travels wherever they are on their journeys, and I'll see you next time from Esalen.